This morning's reading comes from St. Paul's letter, second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, starting at verse 11 to verse 21. So that's 2 Corinthians 5, starting at verse 11. The words should, yes, they're coming up on the screen behind me. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kerry. My name is Graeme Pringle, Associate Minister here at St. Paul's. And the passage that Kerry's just read for us was one that Jonathan chose many months ago when he was doing the service card. But as it happens, it's been a passage that's been very much on my mind during the last month. And I want to tell you three uh, stories of things that have happened to me in the last month. But let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you that... You have made us your ambassadors. Help us to be faithful as ambassadors of Christ. And this morning as we think about that passage, give us new insights as to what it means to be your ambassador. 
For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing that's uh, had uh, quite an impact on me happened a month ago. Jan and I had gone uh, to a, a week, having a week's holiday in northern France near Compiègne. Uh, it's a campsite that we've been to many times during the past uh, 20 years. One of our favorite places in France, a place that's uh, full of peace, very tra tranquil, beautiful walks, uh, lovely little villages. And as we have driven down there over these 20 years, uh, we've noticed quite a large number of war memorials. Uh, for the previous 19 years, I hadn't really taken much notice of them. After all, most villages in the UK also have war memorials. But on this occasion, as we drive down, note, it sort of struck me that many of the war memorials were not in the villages. They were... Uh, in the middle of nowhere, just by the side of the road. And I later found out that uh, the route that we'd been taken had almost exactly followed the line of the Western Front during the First World War. And this beautiful scenery that we loved and have been driving past and walking through, I mean, it looked nothing like the black and white photos that we'd seen of World War I trenches filled with mud and death. But these roadside memorials were marking the places where many people had died. On the Wednesday, in the middle of our holiday, we drove 20 miles to a clearing in a forest just outside of Compiègne. There was hardly anybody there. There was a small museum containing a railway carriage that we had to ourselves. We were virtually the only people there in that museum. But it was there exactly 100 years and one week ago that the armistice was signed. The armistice that ended the fighting during the First World War. And they chosen this spot, it was a branch line in the middle of a forest, a line going nowhere, just a dead end. But they'd chosen it precisely because it was inaccessible, out of sight, away from the media, and about 20 miles away from the front line. The armistice had been signed at 5 a.m., but it came into effect at 11 o'clock. And reports say that it was a cold, damp morning, and that the atmosphere inside the railway carriage was as chilling as it was outside. When the armistice was signed, the supreme commander of the... Um, in the Western Front, Marshal Ferdinand Foch, he refused to shake hands with the Germans. He simply said, Eh bien, monsieur, c'est fini, allez. So, gentlemen, it's finished. Go. Outside the museum, there was a large memorial. And when we vis visited four weeks ago, it was blocked off by temporary barricades. Uh, we could see that there was some construction work going on, quite a few workmen working there. At the time, we had no idea what they were doing, but something was happening. Uh, that something happened eight days ago, when the French president and the German chancellor walked side by side. 
and they unveiled a new plaque that presumably the workmen were getting uh, ready. They shook hands with each other. In fact, at one point, they sort of put their hands on each other's shoulders. Having together laid the wreath, they then visited the railway carriage. This time, they sat side by side, not like 100 years ago where they sat facing each other, refusing to shake hands. And together, they signed the visitor's book. The BBC reported this as saying that this by this historical event, the French President Emmanuel Macron and the German Chancellor Angela Merkel have left their own mark of reconciliation. That was four weeks ago. Three weeks ago, my second experience relates to an event that took place not 100 years previously, but only 78 years previously. Or to be precise, the 14th of November, 1940. It's a story that I guess many of you are familiar with, but it's been retold in a brand new video. I saw it for the first time three weeks ago. Um, and it's been suggested to the churches in Coventry and Warwickshire that they might like to see the video during their Sunday services. So we're going to watch this video now. It's just a six-minute video. The night was ice clear and there was a full moon. You could hear the growl of the bombers coming over southern England, heading towards Coventry. Ten past seven, there was an alarm sounded, but before it had even finished sounding, the first bombs started falling. The screams of falling bombs, the sound of rafters falling, the sound of whole buildings collapsing was happening all around the city. It was complete chaos, and in the middle of it, this cathedral, Coventry Cathedral, was suffering as well. Hit by fire bombs very quickly, the roof caught fire. The roof was held together by steel ties, and as the whole building began to overheat, so those ties began to twist and turn and made terrible screaming noises themselves. People nearby said it felt as if the whole cathedral was like an animal in pain. Provost Howard, who was in charge of the cathedral, went with a number of others to try and save what he could as the city burned around them and many people were killed. But before long they realised that actually there was nothing they could do. As the city burned, the cathedral burned as well. And when they came in the morning, all that was left was the charred ruin open to the sky. And as they looked at this building, people began to wonder, where was God in the whole of this? If even the cathedral was destroyed, where was God in the middle of this city that had been almost utterly destroyed in a single night? That was their question. Where could God possibly be? When the cathedral was destroyed by fire, besides the rubble, nothing was left but a few charred beams twisted girders and a profusion of nails of all sizes lying everywhere. It would have been easy to see only destruction. But Jock Forbes, the cathedral stonemason, climbed the tower the next morning. He looked down and saw two charred roof beams lying in the shape of a cross. He saw hope in the midst of destruction. He took the beams, bound them together 
and placed them as an altar cross behind the altar of rubble. Provost Howard reminded of another day of darkness as Jesus was nailed to the cross, recognised God's identification with suffering and resisted the very human urge for vengeance. In a move which continues to inspire and challenge us today, he had the words, Father, forgive, written on the wall of the ruined cathedral sanctuary. Only two words, you'll notice, not Father, forgive them, for he wanted all who came here to recognise their own part, our own part, in the destructive patterns of behaviour which, unchecked, can lead to such disaster. And the Reverend Arthur Wales, vicar of St Mark's Church, Coventry, picked up from the cathedral ruins three large sharp nails and, binding them with wire into a cross, took it to show to the bishop. That was the first cross to be made from cathedral nails. During the BBC radio broadcast from the cathedral ruins on Christmas Day 1940, Provost Howard declared that, once the war was over, we should work with those who had once been enemies to build a kinder, more Christ-childlike world. The Cross of Nails quickly became a sign of friendship and hope in the post-war era. Many were gifted, in thanks and in friendship, to contacts all over the world. The new cathedral, rebuilt next to the ruins, has become a centre for peacemaking and reconciliation around the world. The community of the Cross of Nails has grown into a network of partner charities, churches, seminaries and schools, which work for peace and reconciliation locally, nationally and internationally. Every day the Cathedral joins with these partners across the world to pray the Coventry Litany of Reconciliation. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The hatred which divides nation from nation, race from race, class from class. Father, forgive. The story of the Cross of Nails continues to influence us here at home. Today the Cross of Nails has arrived at our school as part of the Cross of Nails pilgrimage around all the Church of England schools in the diocese. We are looking forward to learning about where the Cross of Nails originated from and more about what reconciliation means. We're looking forward to understanding each other better and we're also looking forward to working together as well. So what does this mean for us, especially in the centenary year of the diocese? Well, many of us have felt God calling us to make this news of reconciliation, this message of reconciliation, this ministry of reconciliation, our own right across the diocese, the cathedral, the parishes and other church communities the schools and uh, chaplaincies right across the diocese so that we can be, well, this is the verse that we feel God has really put on our hearts. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. All this is from God. God has reconciled us to himself in Jesus Christ. Now we are called to be bearers of this ministry, reconcilers, right across the diocese and beyond. My third story just happened two weeks ago. Some of you will know that we are celebrating 
the centenary of the Diocese of Coventry. Up until 100 years ago, Coventry and Warwickshire was part of the Diocese of Worcester. But the Bishop of Worcester could see that it need, he needed to set Coventry and Warwickshire free to be its own diocese. At that point, World War I was still raging. Many people had moved to the city of Coventry to work in the factories. Others had moved to northern Warwickshire to work in the, in the coal mines. And the Bishop of Worcester recognized that for these people, Worcester seemed a long, long way away. So on the 6th of December, 1918, still two months before the end of the First World War, the Diocese of Coventry was created. And two weeks ago, there was a special centenary conference at the cathedral. 500 people from across Warwickshire and Coventry gathered together, some from this church, to give thanks for the past 100 years and to think about our future. And at that conference, Bishop Christopher talked about the verse, one of the verses that we've just uh, heard read to us this morning, and the verse that he mentions on the video. All this is from God, who has, given, who has reconciled us to himself in Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. And he was saying that this ministry of reconciliation isn't just a ministry for the cathedral alone, but a ministry for all the churches in the Diocese of Coventry. I'm just going to put up a few of those verses uh, on the screen at them. And let's just read them again. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself and Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. I guess all of us have heard of King George V. He was the king of, uh, of the UK when uh, World War I was taking place. Most of us will also have heard of the Prime Minister at the time, David Lloyd George. But I wonder how many of us recognize the name of Rosalind Weems. Does anybody here recognize the name? Well, it was actually Rosalind Weems. He was the person who actually signed the armistice on behalf of king and country. It wasn't the king there in that railway carriage. It wasn't the prime minister. But it was Rosalind Weems who was an ambassador for the king and country. It was his decision that the armistice should come into force at 11 a.m. And apparently... David Lloyd George was furious because he wanted to come into force at 2.30 when he could have announced it himself in the House of Commons. But Weems said that, well, he recognized the uh, poetic, um, how poetic it would be to have the armistice coming into force on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. Presumably, he didn't see himself as an ambassador of the prime minister, but rather an ambassador of the king, and felt uh, he had the authority to make that decision himself. 
I've never met an ambassador, but Bishop Christopher meets many of them in his role in the House of Lords. He's the lead bishop for foreign affairs. So he spends quite a lot of his time visiting um, other countries and also welcoming um, ambassadors here to the UK. Just on Wednesday, uh, he was hosting the German ambassador at Coventry Cathedral for a performance um, of uh, Britain's war requiem. And Bishop Christopher said, I've heard him say on a couple of occasions that he finds it really powerful talking to ambassadors because when he's talking to an ambassador, he says it really feels as if you are talking to the country. Well, these verses tell us that we are ambassadors of Christ. And if we go over the verses up again, notice how the phrase, we're ambassadors of Christ, is we're ambassadors of Christ within the context of this ministry of reconciliation. It's been pointed out that reconciliation has got three dimensions to it. And I think it was a promise that the cathedral used to hold up a cross and say there is an upward dimension, a sideways dimension, <coughs> and a downwards direction. Thinking firstly about upwards, we need to be reconciled to God. And as ambassadors of Christ, our role is to encourage others to be reconciled to God. <coughs> It's our sinfulness which causes a barrier to separate us from God. And reconciliation is about removing that barrier. Jesus died on the cross so that our sins can be forgiven, that that barrier can be taken away, and that we can be reconciled to God. And part of our role as an ambassador is to share that message for which we often need Confidence and courage to be willing to be known as an ambassador of Christ and to encourage others to be reconciled to God. And so I thought it might be helpful if we together remind ourselves that we are ambassadors of Christ and just to say those words, I am an ambassador of Christ. Can we say that together? I am an ambassador of Christ. This time, though, try and say with a bit more confidence <laughs> <coughs> and commitment and courage. If we can't say it with confidence to each other, how can we say it outside? So with confidence, I am an ambassador of Christ. But reconciliation isn't just about us being reconciled to God. It's also about spreading and being agents of reconciliation between people. That means if there are people that we are not reconciled with, we need to move on that journey towards reconciliation. And I know for some people that's really hard because they've been deeply hurt by someone else. Reconciliation can take time. Reconciliation does not mean that we have to pretend that we were not hurt. Reconciliation does not mean that we have to pretend that it doesn't matter. 
Reconciliation does not mean that the other person doesn't face up to what they have done. That they don't face up to the pain that they've caused us. Reconciliation does not mean that people don't face punishment for crimes or face the consequences of their actions. However, reconciliation does mean being on a journey. A journey which leads and us being reconciled with the other person. And God has given us a ministry of reconciliation. Not only that we are reconciled with others, but that we can encourage others to be reconciled with each other. From time to time, I come across a couple of people who I know just really do not like each other, perhaps hate each other. People who want nothing to do with each other. And part of me thinks, well, that's got nothing to do with me. That's their business. I'll just leave them to it. But actually, this verse reminds us that in Christ's name, we can be agents of reconciliation. Encouraging them to talk to each other. Encouraging them to reconcile their differences. That's what it means to be an ambassador of Christ. And third and finally... Reconciliation has a downward dimension, for the cross is rooted in the earth. The verse before the one, we won't put it up on the screen, but verse 17, the verse before this, talks about, Paul talks about the new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. We live in a world that because of human sinfulness is fractured is damaged. <clears throat> Someone, there was a conference a few weeks, a few years ago at the cathedral called, um, it was a conference about the wounded planet, healing the wounded planet. And our world is wounded through pollution, through plastics in the sea, through global warming. Everything is out of kilter. But God's vision is a world that is healed. And the vision at the end of the Bible is a new heaven and a new earth where God is reconciled with the planet and we are reconciled with the planet we live on. And as ambassadors of Christ, it involves beginning that work now that we can strive to make the world a better place and to make the creation what God intended it to be. In that too, we are ambassadors of Christ. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. So for a final time, let's say it together, that I am an ambassador of Christ I am an ambassador of Christ. Would you please stand? If our band can come ready to play. But let's just be still before God. 
Heavenly Father, by your Holy Spirit, come speak to us now. We stand here as your ambassadors. Pray that you may lay on our hearts perhaps one area where you particularly want us to focus. Something practical that we can do to be a better ambassador for you. 